Revelation chapter 3. And this is part two, looking at the church of Sardis. Last week we looked at this church that had a reputation, had a name, that it was alive. But from God's point of view, although there was on the surface a lot of activity, underneath there was not a true loyalty, a true commitment, a true surrendered life in true spirituality. And he said, as far as I'm concerned, it's dead. And then he gave them a warning in verse 3 and said that when he comes, referring to the rapture of the church, that it's going to come upon you as a thief. Which is interesting because in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 4 and 5, it says, But you, brethren, are not in darkness, that this day should overtake you as a thief. But you are all sons of the light, sons of the day. We're not of the night, nor of darkness. So one of the promises we had in 1 Thessalonians 5 is that that day would not take us as a thief. But yet as we come to the scriptures here, he says to the church in Sardis, that's what it's going to be for you, like the world. You're not prepared. You're not ready for my return. And that's a scary, scary thing. Winston Churchill during World War II said... I must drop one word of caution, for next to cowardice and treachery, overconfidence leading to neglect and slothfulness is the worst of war crimes. Boy, how we need to realize that we are in a battle, guys. We are in the last days and we are in a fight. In Ephesians chapter 5, he says, Therefore, awake, you who sleep. Arise from the dead. That's what he said concerning the church of Sardis. You have a name that you're alive, but you're dead. And here he's given invitation to those kind of Christians. Awake from your sleep. Arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time. We in the last days of all people need to redeem the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 1 Timothy 4, it says, in the last days, some are going to depart from the faith. 2 Timothy 3, the last days are going to be a perilous times. Men are going to be lovers of themselves and lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And so we see it's perilous, not for the world, but for us who are Christians. We are going through perilous waters because there's going to be this love of the world and the love of the flesh. And it tells us in 1 John that if the love of the world gets in us, then the love of the Father can't dwell there. So for us as Christians, there's going to be this strong love of the world and the things of the world, and it's perilous for us as believers. We need to be wise, not fools, understanding the times we live in, walk circumspectly, redeem the time, because the days we live in are evil days. Be children of the day, not of the night, that that day does not overtake you. And make sure that neglect and slothfulness is not a part of your crimes in these last days, leaving that love of God. Well, in verses 4 through 6 here today, you have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. 
Interesting here, he says there are a few names who have not defiled themselves. Even in the worst churches that we've already covered in the seven churches we're looking at here, in the, in the worst churches we've looked at in Pergamos and Thyatira, he said there are a few bad among you in both of those churches. Here he turns it around and he says there's just a few good among you. That for the most part, they've all compromised and gone in this way of corruption and apathy. They think they're doing great, but in reality, they're not. And he says there that they defiled their garments. This is a a metaphor that's being used for fleshliness. For example, in Jude, uh, it it says that hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. So it's it's a, a metaphor for they've defiled the garment. In other words, they're not walking in holiness and righteousness before God. But for those few people who have not gone with the rest into this uh, compromising lifestyle, he says, you shall walk with me. Wow. That's just an awesome thought, man. And John, he says, first John, he says, what are we going to be like? He says, I don't know, but I know those who put their minds on the things above. Think about those things. What it's going to be like when we get to heaven. They'll purify themselves even as he is pure right now. One of the most purifying things we can do as a Christian is get our mind on the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And one of those pictures for us as Christians is to contemplate the reality which is going to happen, guys, in a second of time. We're going to be walking with the Lord. Imagine that. Imagine not only seeing Jesus face to face, but Him reaching out like a father to a child and taking your hand and walking around in heaven, cruising with the Lord, going to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You guys are going to be walking with me for all of eternity. So in the beginning of the Bible, we saw that the Lord came walking in the cool of the evening, but Adam and Eve were hiding because of their sin. God kicked them out of the garden and their evening walks ended. Now we come to the very end of the Bible. And he says, that which was lost by the sinfulness of man will be gained for all of eternity to those who now can overcome to those now who can keep their garments from being defiled. They have that promise, lost by Adam and Eve, but regained for all of eternity. If indeed you're walking, he says, with me in white, for they are worthy. So referring to righteousness, they're going to walk in white robes of righteousness. And I'll I'll tell you something. That is just another incredible thought, to think someday we're going to be in a brand new body that will never, ever, ever again, not only not sin, but not even do anything that would even come close to grieving God ever again. Can you imagine that? I know as a Christian, it just gets me every time I fall short of what God has for me, whether with my mouth or with my eyes or with any part of my life, even my thoughts, when I realize that that which I am thinking or speaking is grieving the heart of God. It just grieves me so much. And to realize one day I'm going to be walking with the Lord and I have a complete weight off my shoulders and a continual joy realizing I will never say, I will never think, I will never do anything that would grieve God ever, ever again. I'm going to walk with Him in white, referring to the white robe of righteousness, in perfect righteousness, even as He is righteous. And then these people who are walking... And righteousness now, even though we fall, even though we slip, 
even though we're not perfect yet, but we're trying to walk in our white robes of righteousness now. One day we will be given the permanent white robe of righteousness in heaven. But if you're not walking with undefiled garments now, you will not have a white robe later. If you're not walking in a manner worthy of the Lord upon this planet, which is a difficult thing to do, granted, you will not be walking with the Lord for all of eternity. Jesus tells a parable concerning end times in Matthew 22, and he tells a parable about a a king who is going to have a wedding for probably his child, and and he prepares this great feast, and he says, now go get all the noblemen and bring them to the wedding feast. Tell them it's all ready. And the messengers went out, and they came back, and, and they said they don't want to come. None of them want to come. And he said, go into the highways and the byways and find anybody and everybody you can find. I don't care if they're blind or withered or halt or whatever it is. Bring them in. Tell them they're coming to a wedding feast. And so there, the ragged muffin crew are, are there in the palace. And the king now begins to walk amongst his guests. But yet he saw a man there, it says in Matthew 22, verse 11. It says that the king saw the guest, and he saw a man who did not have on a wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, so he's not upset, he's not wrathful, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness, for there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So there are some who are going to think they can show up at the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb, and think they can be a bride. Again, we have our brides wear a white garment reflecting purity. And so here he comes, and he's not in, so to speak, the wedding garment as reflecting to the church coming in their white robes of righteousness. And he says, there's no way you're going to be a part of this ceremony. There's no way you're going to be a part of the festivities. Take him. And then he gives the same exact description when he clearly describes hell. He describes hell exactly the same way as he described this incident. And so in this parable, the man is being taken and thrown into hell because he does not have that white robe. And so there's not a room for error on this. Either you're walking in undefiled garments or you're not. And if you are not, then you're going to be bound hand and foot and cast into the lake of fire forever and ever. He goes on and he says this very interesting statement, which is much under debate. Of course, I'm going to settle all of that today. But uh, (laughs) he says in verse 5, He overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So there's an interesting statement that says, I will not blot his name from the book of life. Now, by inference, it would not be a comforting thing unless there had been that possibility. And he's telling him, you guys, it does not apply to you because you are walking in a way with undefiled garments. So this doesn't apply to you. Your name isn't going to be blotted out. So it could only be comforting to them if they thought that was a possibility and that indeed it was going to happen to others. As a matter of fact, we find this term other places in the Bible. In Exodus 32, verse 32 and 33, it says this. 
Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. So this is when Moses came down from the uh, mountain of getting the Ten Commandments. And and there in this uh, instance, the people were living a, a sinful life as they were worshiping this golden calf. And, and he understood the Lord's anger about their sin. And he said, hey, if you're going to blot them out, blot me out too. And, and God gets back in Moses' face and said, look, don't tell me who to blot or not blot out of my book. It's my book. And I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But those who are sinning, have sinned against me uh, to the degree and the way they are, I will blot them out if that's what is deemed necessary by me. In this case, he didn't necessarily do that. But uh, the Lord here makes a, a mention that that is a possibility. In Psalm 69, verse 28, the word of God says here, Let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. In Revelation 3, 5, we just had here, uh, mentioned just a minute ago, where he says, I will not block out his name from the book of life. And then in Revelation 22, verse 19, he says, If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. So if people who uh, are messing around with the prophecy, in particular of the book of Revelation here, And begin to add to or delete from. He says, although they would have been a part, although they were in the book of life, although they were going to be a part of the holy city, talking about the new Jerusalem, although they were going to be a part of the things to come of heaven, it's going to end because of that. So there are people that have different theological positions on this. And some say that... um, it's simply saying here, it's not going to happen, and that's all there is to it. And others say, no, it, there's a possibility of that to happen. But either theological position, we do agree upon a few things. First of all, that your name needs to be in the book of life. In Revelation chapter 20, verse 12, And he saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books were open. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things that were written in the books, plural. So there's a number of books, but one in particular is the book of life. And look down to verse 15 of Revelation 20. If anyone is not found written in the book of life, was cast into the lake of fire. When the disciples had come back from going out two by two and, and witnessing of the kingdom of God, they came back and they began to swap demon stories. And uh, the Lord says, let me tell you guys something. I saw Satan himself fall out of heaven like lightning. Anybody out do that one? Okay, then we're done with the demon stories. But then he says in Luke t- chapter 10, verse 20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. It's something that as believers we are to have confidence in. It's something as believers we are to rejoice in. So the question often is asked, well, can a person lose their salvation? 
If that is your specific question, can a person lose his salvation? The answer to that is no. Look at John chapter 6, verse 39. John chapter 6, verse 39. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that of all he has given me, I shall, what? Lose nothing, (laughs) but should raise it up at the last day. Also in John chapter 10, he repeats this same thought. In verse 27 to 30, he says this, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. And I and my Father are one. And so as a Christian, I have great comfort in knowing that as I am abiding in Christ, that I I have a certainty that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that when he grabbed a hold of me for eternal life, that he will never loose me. That I am in his hand. And that's a great comforting thing as we stumble and struggle through this life. That he is the same. That our God's going to remain faithful because he can't deny his own nature. Even when we're not faithful, he remains faithful. That's his very nature. And so there's a great comfort in that as Christians. And so God's not going to change his mind about you. In other words, he's not going to say, well, you know, I planned on you going to heaven. But now that I see how annoying you are, um, to imagine somebody as annoying of that for all of eternity, no thanks. I unchoose you. Um, No. I don't believe the Lord's going to do that. His nature's certain and set. However, if you ask another specific question, is it possible for somebody to throw away their salvation? I would have to say yes to that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we see that people could throw away their salvation by choosing to live in a life of sin. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9 through 11, it says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Now listen to these four important words. Do not be deceived. Now who is he talking to here? He's talking to the church. He's not talking on 60 minutes, okay? He's talking to the church, to believers, And believers are being deceived on this point that if they live in an unrighteous life, that they still shall inherit the kingdom of God. And he's saying to the believers, listen to me. There's not a debate on this issue. Those who live an unrighteous life will not inherit the kingdom of God. As much as you may want it to be something different than that, it will not be something different to that. Whether you're emotionally you want to believe that to be true, whether you have some philosophical argument or whether you have some intellectual argument or whether you're playing some theological chess game with God and even though I'm living unrighteously, I'm still going to make it to heaven because, you know, I've got this verse over here and I've got God pinned down on the mat and uh, he's got to let me in heaven because uh, of our theological chess game that we're playing. He makes a very practical point. Live an unrighteous life, you don't go to heaven. Very simply, Christians... Don't be deceived on this point. And then he gives a list. 
Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you before you became Christians, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And as you go on down and read that chapter, some of the Christians were going into prostitutes and saying they're still right with God. And he's saying, how can such a thing be? And... uh, and trying to help them on this point. In Galatians chapter 5, he makes a similar point. And there's many other passages. We're not going to look at all of them this morning. But in Galatians 5 verse 19, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness. He gives four words for sexual immorality. Why? Because there's people splitting hairs. Ah, but he didn't say, you know. Um, he just sort of tries to cover the whole bases. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness. I mean, is that is trying to refer to sexual uncleanness? Lewdness, giving yourself a license uh, that you shouldn't be giving yourself a license to do. And then he gives some others. Uh, uh, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revile, and anything of the like. Okay, if I did mention something, you guys who are splitting hairs, oh, good. It doesn't mention smoking marijuana here, you know. Ah, it didn't mention not looking at pornography here, you know. Ah, Guys, anything of the like, anything that is similar to any of these other things, even though they may not be specifically mentioned, it's a work of the flesh. And he says, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, So I'm not changing doctrines here. You're asking me the same question that I answered before, and I'm answering it again to you now in the same way, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Again, notice the word practice there. Living in that sinful life. There is a difference between sinning. We all stumble. We fall in many ways. There's one thing being tripped up. And there's another thing, living in that lifestyle. There's one thing, if you are uh, looking through a a bookstore and you see some picture with a a naked lady on it there, and, and, and you look at it a little longer than you should have looked at it, and you're grieved and you walk away and you get out of the store, that you sinned, okay? You lusted in your heart. You shouldn't have done that. But there's a difference between that and having pornography at home dating back to 1981. Okay? This person is living in uncleanness. They're living in a lifestyle of uncleanness. And so we sin every day. Every day we fall short of the glory of God. And so as we go through the day, even though there may not be some sin that's became obvious to us, as we lay our heads upon the pillow at night and we say, Lord, search my heart and see if there be any wicked way in me, God will begin to speak to your heart. You know you had an attitude here. You said this here. You looked at this here. You did this here. And he begins to point out, and we repent and we hate sin. We grieve over sin. And God's faithful and righteous to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But as you're sitting here this morning... And you've got a bag of pot back home. And you plan on smoking it at some point in the future. And you're sitting here trying to convince yourself that even though I am a, 
I'm doing drugs, I'm still right with God. No. You need to bring forth fruits of repentance. You need to go home and flush that stuff down the toilet right now. Maybe you have a party you have said, yes, I'm going to go to this coming Friday. And you know there's going to be sinful things going on there. And you're sitting here saying, I'm still right with God, even though I know I'm going to go there and hopefully I won't compromise too much. I know I'm going to compromise a little bit, but I hope I don't compromise too much. I hope I can get out of there unscathed without too many sins attributed to me at that party. The fact that you have planned on going to that party tells me that you are still living in unrighteousness or you never would have agreed to even go near there to begin with. Even the thought of going to such a place is not fitting for the saints. We need to be holy just as what? God is holy. Not as the best Christian you know or some way you imagine Billy Graham of being holy or something. But just as the Lord our God is holy. And so... If people choose to live in a lifestyle of sin, if you're here today and you're living with your boyfriend or your girlfriend in sin right now, you're not married and you have the same address and share the same apartment, you are in fornication right now. And I don't care what your past experiences with Christ are. You are living in fornication. You shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You need to repent and not spend one more day, one more night in that situation. You should say in your heart, whatever it takes to live as God would have me to live, that is what I am going to do, no matter what the cost may be. And then we also know that people can choose to throw away their salvation by walking away from God. Turn to Hebrews, if you would. We're going to look at a number of passages there in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews, chapter 3. This is that verse that, this is that book that teaches that men should make the coffee. Hebrews. So you women can say, honey, you make the coffee today. You get up. Hebrews. Chapter 3, verse 12. Yeah, I know. It only goes downhill from there. It says in chapter 3, verse 12, Beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief, notice, in departing from the living God. So first of all, he says, Beware, wake up, brethren. He's talking to the Christians. That you, believers, brethren, fellow Christians... I'm talking to you, you about departing from the living God. How could such a thing happen? Here he says, exhort one another daily, why it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. For we are partakers of Christ if, notice the word if there, we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. Breathe in our last breath or being raptured from this church and on that moment and everything in before it living a life, wanting to serve and obey God. And so he says here that sin gets in there and deceives. And so whether it's emotionally or philosophically or intellectually, 
you're convinced that even though I'm dabbling in this sin, even though I'm living in this sinful lifestyle, that if I were to die today or if the Lord were to come back today, I am still right with him. And it upsets me that you hold that position that even though I'm living in this sinful life, that I'm still not right with God. You don't know my heart. You're right. I don't know your heart. But the Bible makes it very clear. By their fruits, we shall know them. And we are to judge the fruits. We are to discern, looking at the fruits. And if you're living in a life of sin, it's only a matter of time until you go from feeling guilty about your sin to not really feeling that guilty about your sin to saying, I'm just not going to feel anything anymore, and you don't, to then justifying your sin, to then saying, it's not sin at all, to then saying, not only is it not sin at all, it's a good thing that I'm living this way. And I can't believe you can't see it's a good thing I'm living this way. And I can't believe that in your brain you would think it's a sinful thing that I am living this way. And they're completely deceived. And Matthew, it says that many is going to come in that day and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, I prophesied in your name. I did miracles in your name. I cast out demons in your name. So we're not talking nominal Christians here. We're talking about people that were well known in Christian circles. We're talking about people that had a power with God at one point in their life. He doesn't argue saying, no, you didn't do that. He just said, be gone, you doers of iniquity. You did not do my will. Or I don't know you because you lived a life of lawlessness. I'm not disagreeing that I didn't use you in a powerful way like I used Balaam's donkey and opened his mouth and spoke through him. But I am saying that you did not live a life of righteousness. And heaven will not be yours. In Hebrews chapter 6, there in verse 4, he says this. It's impossible for those who are once enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put him to open shame. Now, some want to debate over the word tasted and say, well, they didn't really get saved. They just sort of tasted it. Well, look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, and look at the same Greek word used there. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9, the same Greek word says this, For we see Jesus who is made a little lower than the angels for the suffering and death, crowned with glory and honor, that he, by the grace of God, should what? Taste death for every man. So did Christ really not completely die, just sort of tasted it? Guys, if you believe that, let's pack up and leave, because we're all still in our sins. The Bible makes it clear that Christ died for our sins. And rose again. And so if he only tasted it. So the word in our English vocabulary, tasted, does mean, you know, you sort of give a little taste of the chocolate batter while the cake mix is being mixed up. I I agree with you. uh, But not so here. It's talking about the complete experience of it. And so they completely experienced the things of heaven. They completely experienced the word of God. And knowing clearly... The ways of God, knowing clearly the life of God, they chose to walk away from God. And in this particular instance, he makes it known. They can never come back. There's no way salvation will ever be theirs, ever in the future. And uh, there is a point of no return, guys. And God knows that point of return. I don't know where that point of no return is, but God knows. And 
You say, man, I, I, that's me. I, I've been living a life of sin, and, and I was raised in the church, and I knew better, and, and boy, that's a scary thing. You know what I say? I say, come to God. Come running right now. <laughs> before the deception of sin, the hardness of heart gives in, before you cross that line of no return, come now. Well, I, I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. Just come. God will figure it all out for you. Just come and get your life right with the Lord. In chapter 10 there of Hebrews, there in verse 26 and 27, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 and 27, For if we sin willfully after we receive the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fire into nation which will devour the adversaries. Stating the same type of thing. If there's a willful turning to a life of sin after you've left that life of sin, there is no way to return. In Hebrews chapter 12, looking at verses 12 through 17. Therefore, strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet so that which is lame may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness without which no one shall see the Lord. Without holiness, no one's going to see the Lord. What does it say in Matthew? Blessed are the pure in heart. They will inherit the kingdom of God. And then he says, Looking carefully, lest any of you fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble, and by this many become defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards... When he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. His heart had been hardened to the degree through the sinful life and the sinful choices against the commandments of God, against the will of God, that even when he realized that his life of sin was taking him now into a a way of destruction, a way where his life was going to have no submission to God at all, there was, even though he saw it clearly and, and he, he said, I want the ways of God, he couldn't get back to that place where his life would come to repentance, his heart would bring forth fruits of repentance, even though he sought it with tears. We have an example of this in King Saul. It tells us that when Saul was chosen as king, it said that God's spirit came upon Saul and he became a new man. And it tells us that later the Spirit came upon him again and he prophesied. And we see God using him to give him great victory in battle. But later on, we see that Saul was not one submitted to the will and the word of God. And in one instance, knowing, very clearly knowing that only the priests were to offer the sacrifices, he still offered the sacrifice. And when Samuel showed up, he said, what in the world did you do? In 1 Samuel 13, verse 13, he says, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. From, for now, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel, notice here, forever. God had a forever plan for you, but the forever plan is now ended. There is no more forever plan. But now your kingdom shall not continue The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people because you have not 
kept what the Lord commanded you. So when we look at the nature of God, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God had a forever plan and then said the forever plan is no longer in effect, in this case concerning Saul being king and his kids being king after him, if God is willing to do that in one area, then God, being consistent with his own nature, could and would do that in another area. And so, yes, he gave them a forever plan. Far as it's concerning me, God says, I'm faithful. I'm not going to stop being faithful. Even if you're not faithful, I'm going to continue to be faithful. However, if you choose to walk away from me, you choose to turn from me, I still respect the fact that you have that complete choice. There are those who want to to try to teach that when we become believers, God's Spirit comes in as we become new creatures, which is all true, that our sphere of choice is now limited by the essence of our new nature. And so as a non-believer, I could have chose to obey God or complete wickedness to disobey God. I could choose to love God or, or hate God. This full spectrum of choice was in effect. But now as a Christian, all I can do is make minor choices. I can choose between a hot dog and a hamburger. I can choose between a surfboard and a boogie board. But I can't choose any longer to ever hate God or completely turn and live a lifestyle of sin. And they believe that sphere is is limited. And I do not believe that. I believe that's one of the challenges we have as believers, that we are still 100% in sinful flesh. As Paul said, sold under bondage unto sin. Oh, wretched man that I am. Hold on, not me. Just Just my body. Because in me, the spirit is willing. But my body. We're living in 100% of a sinful world. And so we still have to make the complete sphere of choice not to disobey, but to obey. Not to walk away from God, but to walk in harmony with God. And we have to make that complete sphere of choice each and every day, which is a difficult thing. Later, Saul was given a command in in 1 Samuel 15 to go and to take out the Amalekites who were against Israel. And he went down and he brought some of the spoil back and brought the king back, which definitely was not the command. And, And Samuel comes and says, God spoke to me last night that this was just a serious disobedience. And, and Saul said, you know, yeah, you know, we probably should have, you know, not brought anything back. But, you know, the people had such a heart to sacrifice to God. Ooh, good comeback. I'm glad I thought that went up real quick. And uh, so that's really the reason. And Samuel said to Saul, let me tell you something. Your stubbornness is equal to idolatry. And your rebellion is the same as witchcraft. Somebody knowingly worshiping Satan, knowing there has to be a God because I'm worshiping Satan. I know there's a God. I'm not going to acknowledge him. I'm going to do exactly the opposite of what I think he'd want to do. That, that's in rebellion. It's the same exact heart. And I'm sure Saul was thinking, oh man, are you overstating your argument or what, Samuel? You're going nuts. You're, here I didn't kill a few animals and you're telling me I'm a Satanist. Give me a break. And he says, God's rejected you because you've rejected his word. 
And Saul reaches out and says, don't leave me yet. And he rips Samuel's garment. And Samuel says, God's torn the kingdom from you right now. And then Saul says, well, at least stand with me before the people to make it look like I'm still right with God. And Samuel said, come on, Saul, sure. Well, later on, Samuel now died of old age and the battle with the Philistines was coming. And guess what Saul did? He said, go find me a median. Go find me a witch who can raise up the dead and speak to me concerning what's going to happen in battle tomorrow. A radical story. Exactly what Samuel said was in his heart, was indeed in his heart. It took years and years to finally manifest. But the last act of worship Saul ever did was that of witchcraft. And so it's a radical thing to to realize that our hearts can be deceived to the point they can be hardened to the point beware brethren lest any of you depart from the living God walking away from the Lord there's a story about a man by the name of Charles Templeton him and Billy Graham were side by side at the beginning of the Billy Graham organization he was very key in the youth for Christ ministry Pastor Chuck Smith, who was the founder of the Calvary Chapel movement, said that he would travel any distance he had to to listen to Charles Templeton preach. He was so incredibly dynamic. Well, later on, Charles Templeton wrote a book. And the book was Why I'm an Atheist. And in that book, he apologized to every person he ever brought to Jesus. And he says the reason he wrote this book was to rescue them to get out of Christianity. A man who preached the gospel to thousands. A man who led people to the Lord by the thousands. But yet he began to live in a life of sin. And then his heart was hardened to the point that he was categorically apostate and opposed to Jesus Christ. Now, some people ask the question, well, don't you think maybe that guy was never saved to begin with? I don't know about any particulars. Is that a possibility? Yes, it is. In 1 John 2, verse 19, he says there in 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be made manifest that none of them were of us. So in John's point here with the heretics that were in the church at that time, he said the fact that they left was to make it clear to the Christians, because it wasn't clear to the Christians, that indeed they were really wolves. And they looked like sheep for a long time until finally the thing showed. And, and then eventually they left and went and did their apostate thing to make it evident. And also in 1 John chapter 3, verse 4 through 6, Whoever commits sin, living a a lifestyle of sin, also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there was no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin, continuing that life of sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. So John here says that in this case, that these people, the reason they chose to walk away from God and live in this sinful lifestyle, because they never knew him to begin with. Now, to say that's the case in every situation, I don't think we can. In 2 Timothy 4.10, it says, For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. And in the earlier letters, 
Paul talked about Demas as one of his fellow laborers. And so you say, well, could have Demas been one of those guys that never really was a Christian and he finally showed his true colors by leaving, that he never really was a Christian? That's possible. Well, or maybe he's the prodigal. Maybe he came back later. Maybe he finally hit the pig pen and he woke up and said, what am I doing with my life? And he came back to the Lord. So now what? Oh yeah, he was saved, but he took this spiritual hiatus. And even though he was living in sin for that season, he still was saved. But now we know that he was really saved because he came back. But what if he had died before he came back? What if he never made it to the pig pen? He got hit by a car on the way there. Or, third possibility is, he was saved, but he threw it away. He threw away his salvation. Living a submitted life to God is not what I want. I want to live my life according to the flesh. I want to do what I want to do. And I don't want to do things God's way because it's quenching out my flesh life. Which is it? I don't know. And matter of fact, to speculate on individuals is wrong. In Romans chapter 10, it says in verse 6 there, But righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That's to bring Christ down from above. Or who will descend into the abyss? That's to bring up Christ from the dead. So don't speculate on those things. That's wrong. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth, in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what do we know? That you are sitting here today and that you have been taught the difference. People try to hypothesize. Well, what do you think? What if this person, you know, what about the pygmies in New Guinea who never heard the gospel and died back in 1947? What do you think about him? I am glad that I don't have to judge. Jesus made it clear the Father's given all judgment unto me. And I'm glad. I don't like judging. It does say we will judge the angels, but we'll be in our new bodies. And hopefully I'll have a whole lot better brain by then uh, to make better judgments. But in the meantime, I don't have to figure that out. But what do I need to figure out? I need to figure out for me. I need to know that I need to have Jesus Christ as the Lord of my life. So, well, Brian, what do you believe? Do you believe once saved, always saved? You know what? I'm not going to answer that question. Because it's not a biblical question. Well, sure, it's in the Bible. I've had people swear to me that verse is in the Bible. Just give me a little more time to find it. Go ahead. You're not going to find it. It's not in there. It's like the, they claim the verse that the Lord helps those who help themselves. That's not in there either. And some people believe that the doctrine is so clear by inference within the scriptures, they can just make that blanket statement. When somebody is struggling with sin, when there is a, a true Christian who says, man, I want to live for God every day of my life. I want to obey him. I want to serve him. I deny myself, take up the cross, but I'm stumbling. I'm struggling. And there's times you go through that in your life, isn't there? Where Satan is coming at you with every attack, every temptation, uh, every depression, and just one thing after the next, you know, sort of like Job. You lose your kids, you lose your business, you lose your health. It's just one bombardment after the next. And you're standing there going, Am I even saved, you know? Can I be right with God and all these horrible things happening to me and all of this uh, being overcome, flooded with my mind and my emotions and, and temptations? And we go through hard times like that. 
And when people are going through hard times like that, I like to show them the verse and say, look right there. Your name will not be blotted out of the book of life. Just confess your sin. He's faithful and righteous to forgive you of your sin and keep going. Hey, the righteous man falls seven times. I love that. Even though he fell seven times, he still has the title as the righteous man. But the righteous man also gets up seven times. So I am not saying a person is a Christian because they have sinless perfection. (laughs) And I like to comfort them with, you've not lost your salvation. God's not changed his mind about you. Whether you sin one time or a hundred times, where your sin abounds, his grace much more abounds. God is for you. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. But on the other hand, there are people who ask that question, am I once saved, always saved, because they're living in sin and they want to continue to live in sin, but they also want their cake and eat it too. They also want to go to heaven. So what they're really asking is, how much more can I keep sinning? Because I really want to, and that's what I plan on doing. But I still want a back door of success here. I, I still want to make sure I make it to heaven after I'm done sinning all I want to sin. So how can I make both of those happen? Come on, you're a pastor. You've read the whole Bible. Help me out with this chess game here. And I take him to the same verse, and I said, look here. Your name's probably going to get blotted out of the book of life. <laughs> You have these people who come and they they say, but you don't understand. When I was five years old, I got saved at vacation Bible school. And after that, my friend, my next door neighbor took me to church until I was 15. And I haven't lived for the Lord in the last 38 years. And uh, nor do I plan on in the future. But hey, once saved, always saved, man. I I walked with the Lord for eight years. That's got to count for something, even though I haven't obeyed him for the last 38. You know what? Somewhere in those 38 years, I'm sure your name was blotted out. And so it's sort of a mute point because either side of your theological position, and we're a non-denominational church here, which gives freedom for people to be on either side of the theological position. I don't really care. Because if somebody says, oh no, the reason they're not obeying God for the last 38 years is because they never were a Christian to begin with. Or if the guy says, yep, he sure was a Christian for those eight years, but then he threw his salvation away, and now he's not a Christian. His name's been blotted out of the book of life. Either way, I'm standing before this guy right now, and the answer's same. Whatever theological position you have, the answer's the same. You need to repent and get right with God and start following him. So it doesn't matter whether you never had it or you, or you threw it away. It doesn't matter. The point is, is you need to repent and get right now with God. And the way we know that you're right with God is that you're continuing a life of submission to him. And if you're not submitted to him, then no matter what you said with your mouth and no matter what you uh, are role-playing and going to church or carrying your Bible, if you're not submitted to the will of God and wanting to live your life for him, you're not saved, no matter what the theological position is, whether your name can or can't be uh, blotted out or whether you were a Christian or you, you lost your salvation, so to speak. Uh, it's beside the point. And so, what do we know? We know that we need to continue to abide in Christ. Turn to 2 Peter, if you would. There in chapter 1. In John 15, Jesus said, Abide in me. You're going to bear fruit. 
You won't be cut away. You won't be thrown into the fire. You'll bear much fruit and glorify the Father. Well, Peter here in 2 Peter, 2 Peter chapter 1, there in verse 5. But also for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, love. If these things are what? Yours. And you abound. You will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So look at the lifestyle here. First of all, it's somebody that's virtuous. In other words, they're living a a righteous, holy life. And their hands are clean. Their brain is clean. And because of that, now they have a hunger for the word. They have a hunger to pray. They have a hunger to come to church and learn the word. They have a desire to witness. They have a desire to serve the Lord and serve God's people. And because of that, they're growing in the knowledge of God. And when you're growing in the knowledge of God, you hide God's word in your heart, what? You don't sin against him. And as you're growing in the knowledge of God's word, what happens? You now have a self-control about you. And now that you're living this self-controlled, righteous life, now you can persevere, even though the hard times come and the winds and the waves beat against you, you're able to push past it and continue to walk. And then there's a love in your life, and that, grow, that love continues to abound until you come to that agape love. And if this is your lifestyle, in other words, you said, oh, yeah, I lived that lifestyle for two months. Uh, you know, back in 1995, I remember doing that for two months. No, this is your lifestyle. I mean, there's some burps along the way. You get knocked out of the saddle every once in a while. But for the most part, this is your lifestyle. And in these things, not only is it yours, but you're also abounding in it, You don't ever have to be concerned about ever being unfruitful, barren, and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he who lacks these things, in other words, this isn't your lifestyle, you are short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. So to the point that you can't even remember being born again. You cannot remember the joy of being forgiven of your sins. You can't remember the the lifestyle that, that you once lived for that time as a new believer in the in the first love you can't even remember it can't even come to your recollection you're completely blind like a non-believer but on the other hand notice what he says in verse 10 therefore brethren be even more diligent i don't know be more than diligent diligence the top on my list but he has a top above the top more than diligent to make your call and election what sure guys as you study it out calling and election is something that god did before the foundations of the world And Peter here is saying, I'm not going to kick back and say, since I was elected before the foundations of the world, I can live any sloppy agape I want. I can live any old life I want, and it doesn't matter because I've already been chosen. It's a sign, sealed, and delivered. I'm going to heaven. Even though that is what's implied by calling an election. (laughs) The gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Even though that's implied, he says, I'm not kicking back in this theological chess game saying, I don't need to continue to live this diligent Christian life, adding to my faith virtue to virtue, knowledge, and so forth, because I was elected. He said, I'm not going there. When I look at those wonderful principles, those wonderful doctrines of calling and election, they're a great comfort. But I am living this godly lifestyle to make those sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble, and an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So he's confident of a certain kingdom to come. 
Very simply, guys, if you're abiding in the Lord, you're walking with the Lord, it's not even a question in your mind whether heaven is yours. Like Jesus said, you can rejoice right now that your name is written in heaven. You can rejoice right now that your name is not going to be blotted out of the book of life because you're never going to be unfruitful. You're never going to be barren. You're never going to stumble. If indeed, this is the Christian lifestyle that you're living. I I think the best illustration of it is found in Acts chapter 27. And turn there as we're finishing up this morning. In Acts chapter 27, there's a, a unique story there that again shows us within the nature of God. And this is a story where Paul told the guys, let's not go out and sell because the storm is is too great. And they said, look, you're a prisoner on this boat. You're not the captain of the ship. Why should we listen to you? And so they set sail. And as they set sail, they're caught in this hurricane, or excuse me, yeah, hurricane, and the boat is being destroyed. And uh, they're sure they're all going to die out in the middle of the ocean. But in verse 21 of Acts 27 But after long absence from food, then Paul stood in the midst of them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. Verse 22. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must... Uh, be brought before Caesar. Indeed, God has granted you and all those who sell with you. And then he goes on encouraging them. But notice later on in verse 30, some of the sailors on the boat, it says, as they, some of the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, they had let down the skiff, the lifeboat, into the sea under the pretense of putting out anchors from the brow. Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. I love that. So at first you have this radical promise from God. God who knows the future says, hey, nobody on this ship's going to die. Everybody's going to be alive. You can tell them to eat and have a joyful heart because absolutely no loss of life is going to incur. But then when these guys started to get off the boat, Paul says, you know what? earlier promise is off. (laughs) If these guys get off the ship, then I cannot guarantee that they won't die. Even though God spoke to me that they wouldn't die. But if they get off the boat, the promise no longer is in effect. And so I'd simply say to you today, stay in the boat. (laughs) Very simply today, If you got out on your little lifeboat there, you're cruising around on your own little raft, paddle back over and get in the boat. If you stay in the boat, the promise stands. Your name shall not be blotted out of the book of life. You will walk with the Lord in white throughout eternity, side by side with Jesus. John ends saying, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Can you hear what the Spirit is saying today? What's God speaking to you right now? Very simply, come. Come 
Come back in the boat. Come back to the way of God. Don't let these last days drag you down. Don't let it be said. The Spirit especially says some will depart from the faith. Make sure you're not part of that some that departs from the faith. You've been warned. You've been washed. You've been cleansed. Let the healing of God's word take effect and burn away all the dross. Burn away all of those connections you have with the things of the world. Don't let it zap you from the love of the world. Let's bow our heads. Lord, I do thank you for all the prodigals that have been able to come home through the centuries. And Lord, if there's some of the prodigals here today, they've been been woke up to the reality that that door to come home to dad is only for a time. Until the hardness of heart sets in. Until they no longer want God. Until like Charles Templeton, they now are categorically opposed to you and the things of you. Lord, bring repentance, Lord. Give us grace and mercy. Help us, God. There's some here are numb, Lord. There's some here are weak. There's some here, Lord, are so flustered they don't know what it is. Their hearts are so deceived and their minds are so blurred. And Satan has just put them in this box with smoke and mirrors. They don't know which way to turn or how to get out, Lord. We know all we have to do is come to you. Jesus said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And I will give you rest for your souls. If you're here today and you say, man, when I just cut right to the point of it, these things are not mine and I'm abounding in it. And I have stumbled. And I have stumbled to blindness. I'm like the guy who, not obeying God, but still wants to be counted along with the sober I know that I'm not. I haven't been obeying God, but I want to today. So either you're here today saying, yes, I'm a sinner and I want to come to Christ today. Maybe for the first time, you've heard that God loves you. Even today, he's not trying to condemn me. The Bible says, I know my thoughts, I think towards you. Thoughts of peace. Thoughts of love, thoughts of kindness. To give you a hope and a future, not thoughts of evil thoughts of good, to give you a hope and a future. God says he does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. God is, is, is warning you today because he loves you and he's trying to bring you to himself. And if you're here today saying, I once knew the ways of God, but I walked away, but I want to come back today. Either way, I want to come to Christ for the first time or I need to come back and rededicate my life to the Lord. Just lift your hands right now saying, that's me. Pray for me right now. God bless you. Yes, yes. Is there any others right now saying, that's me? You know, you gotta, you got to care. you got to want it. you got to have to say, Lord, I desire that. Right now, those who lifted your hands, just in your hearts, cry out to God right now, God, I, it's me. I have been living a sinful life. Forgive me. Through your death and your resurrection, come now and be the Lord of my life. Forgive my sin. I submit myself to you. Thank you for hearing me. Thank you for forgiving me. Into your hands I give my life. In Jesus' precious name. If you prayed that prayer today, right afterwards, I'd like you to come up and I'd like to encourage you again how to get started as a Christian and just pray with you for just one minute. The rest of you, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you and give you peace. 
Before you head out today, meet somebody you don't know. Get their name. Get one prayer request. You can pray for them throughout the week and then do it. So it may, find a, may be hard to find somebody you don't know or maybe easy, but find somebody you don't know. God bless you all. Have a great week in the Lord. Hope to see you back tonight.